We've got to change the narrative in the church. There's so many people suffering. There's so many pastors and leaders struggling and suffering that we have to reframe the narrative away from silence and shame to a healthy understanding of what it means to struggle with your mental health and follow Jesus. Welcome to the Influencers Podcast. I'm Scott Young. Our co-host Dave Donaldson is out on assignment, but I am so glad that you are a part of today's podcast. I guarantee you the topic we're going to talk about today has touched you either directly or indirectly. Uh, They estimate that in the U.S., one in five, that means if you have 10 friends, two of those friends has struggled with mental health issues. That's according to the National Institute of Mental Health. A few years ago, Barna did a study of pastors, and they discovered almost 60% of pastors have struggled with depression during their tenure of ministry, and that had grown 13% in the same question asked four years previously. It seems to be the rising generation that is rising around us, coming behind us, also struggles with anxiety, depression, and mental health. Well, today's guest, Wesley Town, Pastor Wesley Town, is a spiritual leader, a podcast, a speaker who specifically addresses through preaching, teaching, podcasting, personal conversations, mental health issues, and Wesley, we're so glad to welcome you to the Influencers Podcast. Thanks for joining us. So good to be here with you, Scott. How did you become a pastor, a spiritual leader? How did that happen in your life? That is a question and a journey. (laughs) So I grew up in a non-Christian home, never heard anything about Jesus, the gospel, until I was in eighth grade. I was a basketball player, and we had a neighborhood of basketball sports dudes yeah. who literally played sports all day long every day. And when I was in eighth grade, a new kid moved into our neighborhood named Adam and he was from Seattle. Wow. And one day I saw him moving in. And then the next day I saw him playing basketball up at his house. And so me being the basketball guy of the neighborhood went up, to show him who was the best guy in the block. <laughs> so I went and I started playing hoops with him and I invited him to start playing hoops with us every day. And so he he became a part of our, our friend group and played basketball with us every day. And he went to church every Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And at first we were just like, oh, that's cool. You know, this is the church kid. We've never known a church kid in our neighborhood. And one Wednesday, he went to church and we had like a really heated three on three game and he left it in the middle to go to youth group Wednesday night, 7 PM youth group. So that just blew up our whole intense, great basketball game that day. So I came up with the idea, let's go to the church and make fun of all the church kids. (laughs) So we set out on a five minute trek to the church and we get there and there's cars everywhere. And then we notice in the, in this parking lot, it was like heaven to us. There was two brand new full court basketball hoops. And they also had brand new lights at night. So we got totally distracted, forgot about making fun of the church kids, started playing basketball there every day and at night when the lights would turn on. And that's where the youth, youth pastor started hanging with us, interacting with us. And over time, coming from a 
total non-Christian, know nothing about Jesus' background, I believed in Christ. And my life started to be transformed. And then by the time I was in high school, I was trying to figure out how do I follow Jesus? Not much mentorship or discipleship. My junior year, I started going to this amazing church that just taught through the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I would go Wednesday and Friday and Sunday and just taking in like as much as I could possibly take in. And then my senior year, I said, I really want to make a difference on my campus. I don't want to just be an undercover Christian going to church all the time. Because I used to be a partier, so people knew that I quit mm-hmm. doing the party scene. So I started a Bible study at my high school, and the second Bible study, the room was packed. I thought five people would show up. I knew nothing about the Bible either, so that's a little dangerous. <laughs> I taught that Bible study, the second Bible study, and I walked out of the classroom heading to my English class, and I felt like God said, I want you to do this the rest of your life. Wow. And that was the beginning of my journey, just feeling called to disciple, tell people about Jesus, teach the Bible. And uh, it's been an incredible journey. How did your family uh, relate to this experience you had, the spiritual awakening you had? Did they embrace it? Were they nervous of it? At first, they just thought it was a fad. They'd always say, you're going to get over this. It's just a fad because I was like all in. I was going to church all the time. Like I quit hanging out with certain friend groups, uh, still connected with them, but we just didn't share the same common like way of life. And so they, they had some pushback, especially when I decided I wanted to go, instead of going playing sports and going to university, I wanted to go to a Christian college, play sports and uh, get a degree in biblical studies. And there was huge pushback. And then when I graduated there, I wanted to go and get, at least one graduate degree from a seminary. And so I think that it was a long acceptance for my family, but now I can talk to any of my family members about Jesus. It's been a very long fad for your life. Yeah, it's a long fad for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, how did you make the journey towards um, mental health, uh, working with people's shame? How did that journey take place? Yeah, I think there's two parts of it for me. One, I grew up in a deeply broken home. So I feel like the story of pain has been a huge part of my story. Woven throughout my life has been a lot of brokenness and trauma Mm -hmm. and really challenging family of origin pain. And the second part of it was when I planted a church, I was 25 going on 26, which I do not recommend. (laughs) I planted a church in Eugene, Oregon, a college city, and my wife and I, we just had a heart to reach college students and see a generation changed. So we, we start this church in a living room with five people, and I had no idea how a church was supposed to grow. We just had a vision, like, let's disciple every person that comes, let's invest in their life, and let's just pray that God would do an amazing thing in this city with people coming to know and follow Jesus. So we start this church after three months, there was like 90 college students all over our apartment, listening to one hour Bible studies once a week. And we thought, oh, something's happening here. Mm. And the trajectory of growth in the church was like that, but even more exponential growth. So we went to a community center, we filled that up and we ended up having four or five services a week there. Then we went to, uh, a middle school with a 
capacity of 400 and we filled that up a couple of times. Then we went into a big gym with a capacity of almost a thousand. Then we filled that up over and over again. And then we started another campus and that was within, you know, a couple of weeks that was pretty full in an adjacent community. So our church, our third Easter, we had almost 2,500 people. Wow. And I'm young. Wow. So I have no idea. I wasn't trained to like manage the weight of stress and all the complexity of something that was growing that fast. I was taught how to preach, leadership principles, counseling stuff, but the weight of that type of growth mm. and the complexity and the pressure and the stress and the anxiety and the burdens and the desire to be available to all the people that want to be connected to you in so many different ways, in a lot of ways that crushed me. Mm. And for three years, I was living with paralyzing anxiety. There were days that I couldn't even get out of bed. And there were Sundays where I would walk up to preach and I felt like I was going to faint, just pass out. And somehow I would just get through it. But the joy of doing what I did, which I absolutely love, I think it was lost mm -hmm. because I was struggling so much with my mental health. Mm -hmm. And the pressure that I felt like this church is growing so fast, I can't get off this train even for a minute because the train is moving so quickly. Mm -hmm. And there's always new adaptations like, okay, we've developed this system. Now we've got to change this system within months, right? Like we hired this person. Now we got to hire three more people. So I think there was so much to learn about how to be a healthy leader in the midst of that that I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I really struggled. And I saw other people struggling too around 2010, 2011. Some of my friends who are also younger pastors, pastoring very successful, fast-growing churches. And behind the scenes, they were struggling with anxiety and mm -hmm. depression and burnout. And the narrative that I heard at that time was either silence, we're not talking about mental health, or shame. Mm -hmm. You just need to trust God more, pray more. You know, all the things they say, this is a spiritual problem. Something's wrong with you spiritually, because obviously, like, a follower of Jesus shouldn't have anxiety or be depressed or dealing with burnout. And so I think that was that was the, really the beginning. I always had a passion for understanding the human condition, not just the nuances of Scripture. Partly because of my life and partly because I realized that pastoring is not just being a great Bible student and communicator. It's mm -hmm. really caring about people and understanding the complexities of their life. But my life was so challenging with my mental health condition mm -hmm. that by the time I figured out how to be healthy, Wayne Cordero, who's a mentor of mine, he helped me a ton because he walked through all of yeah. this. And he wrote that amazing book, Leading on Empty. Yeah. So he got to personally share so much of his journey with me and help me to walk and navigate through getting well again. By the time I got out of that, I just started teaching on mental health and suffering. Mm -hmm. Anytime I was asked to preach at another church. And every time I did that, I'd thought through this quite a bit and researched quite a bit as well and had counseling classes, so on and so forth in seminary. Everywhere I went, people were like, we've never heard this before. Mm -hmm. Or this, this is so applicable to my life, to my family. 
And we're so grateful that you're actually sharing your story and being honest as a pastor. That was really the beginning of feeling deeply called to this space to say, we've got to change the narrative in the church. There's so many people suffering. There's so many pastors and leaders struggling and suffering that we have to reframe the narrative away from silence and shame Mm. to a healthy understanding of what it means to struggle with your mental health and follow Jesus. How long from your brokenness that you talked about, thank you for just sharing very transparently. Appreciate that so much, but to come to health and then how did you know when you were, were healthy or how do you define a spiritually healthy leader? Yeah, I think for me, it was a process. One, it was reaching out for help. So having the courage to tell some people I really looked up to, I'm not well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also going to therapy at the same time, getting professional help for me was essential because I had been dealing with this for so long. Mm -hmm. And it's like compounding over time. Like you, You feel worse and worse and worse and worse. And it really debilitates your life. And that's how I felt, even though I hit it well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was really, really struggling and I didn't want to preach anymore because every, Mm -hmm. every Sunday I got up there, I felt like I was going to pass out. And some Sundays I blacked out, uh, as I was teaching. So I lost the joy of what I was doing. I was afraid to do what I was doing. So I I reached out for help. Wayne helped me immensely, Mm -hmm. told me, go on sabbatical, come out to Hawaii, you and your wife, uh, be a part of our church. We'll, we'll help you and bless you. I got therapy it, during that time. And then I started to learn some tools based on those two avenues, both Wayne and my therapist, of how to navigate the pressures and stressors, how not to be everything to everyone all the time, but to really live within a framework of health and margin. What you just um, said was so good. I don't want to skip over it too much. What you just said, not to be everything for everyone all the time. That That's a crushing weight. And what a yeah. great lesson to learn. And I felt that way. Like yeah. I was trying to be everything to yeah. everyone and do everything. Yeah. And Jesus didn't even do that. No. So I surely couldn't because internally there was implosion on a mental health level because I was trying to be something that a human cannot be. And so I think that over that period of time, I began to learn how to be healthy. And I also began to become self-aware of how I fill up my tank and who I am as a person to Mm -hmm. thrive mentally and emotionally. And I learned some things that maybe I didn't fully realize, like I wasn't an extrovert. I I was more an ambivert, but I leaned toward introvert. Okay. So I needed alone time. I needed time to really fill myself up. Uh, mm-hmm. I always had been an athlete, but I got so busy that I quit running five days a week. And that is super advantageous for dealing with stress. So mm-hmm. I, I got back in the gym and I really dedicated time to running. It, that in particular helped me immensely with my stress. And then I also learned that you can't live in a deficit with each part of what it means to be a human, right? Like mm-hmm. we've got a mental tank, an emotional tank, and a relational tank, and a spiritual tank. And all of those are really important to fill up, mm-hmm. to be well and healthy and flourish. And so I started to be intentional about how am I doing filling up all of these tanks that are really stewardship 
in my mm-hmm. relationship with God because he created all these parts of me. So I started to invest in those areas of my life. And I really came to a place of health and well-being and wholeness and flourishing again. But it definitely took me some time. And and you've talked about the the um, your mind that was challenged and helped by your counselor and by uh, Wayne Cadero. Physically, that was brilliant. I hope people heard that, that we're tri-dimensional. Where was the spiritual aspect in your journey towards health? Yeah, I think I was I think I was healthy spiritually. Okay. Uh, I I and this was part of the issue. I was yeah. reading my Bible every day, praying, you know, trying to Sabbath once a week. Like there were really core spiritual formation rhythms that I kept ingrained in my life. Mm. However, and I had mentorship too. So okay. there were spiritual mentors in my life. Phil Comer, who started amazing church, West Side of Jesus Church, Phil and John Mark Comer co-planted it. He's been a mentor since I was 17 years old. So I had him in my life and Mm. him and Diane were always available for me. And part of the problem was I was hearing, you shouldn't be dealing with anxiety. These are the narratives in Christianity at that time. Like you should be praying more, trusting God more, reading your Bible more. It's a spiritual problem. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm doing all those things and it's still not working. Yeah. Like I'm living in those rhythms and I still don't feel well. So there's got to be another component mm-hmm. that people are missing. We've oversimplified these answers and solutions to really complex human realities. And so I feel like I, I was doing well. And obviously there's so much growth year in and year out uh, for all of us as followers of Jesus mm-hmm. and leaders, spiritual leaders. But I felt like I was doing the things that everybody said that you're supposed to be doing, that we're supposed to be the solutions to mental health challenges. So what do you say to maybe a pastor, a leader, a business leader that says, you know, I'm doing those spiritual things. I'm, I'm reading, I'm taking time to pray. And but I still feel that deficiency. What do we say to them to kind of say, here's how you get healthy? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I find so many leaders, business leaders, CEOs, entrepreneurs, all saying the same thing behind the scenes Mm -hmm. and really afraid to talk about it because I think there's still shame. Like we're supposed to be the leaders. We're supposed to be well. We're supposed to be strong or what have you. I'd say a number of things. One, it's completely normal. Look Look at so many leaders in human history. Charles Spurgeon, C.S. Lewis, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther, the great reformer, all struggle with their mental health. Mm -hmm. It's normal in the Bible. Adam and Eve, shame, fear, anxiety, Elijah, the great prophet, uh, suicidal ideation, depression. Um, Paul struggled with both burnout type language he talks about in 2 Corinthians and anxiety. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, and in Philippians 2, he talked about anxiety. So I think on a spiritual level, it's, it's normal mm-hmm. that we have these struggles because on one hand, God has given us wisdom for flourishing, right? Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, we live in this, we live in two spheres that are interconnected. We live in the reality of being disciples of Jesus and being followers of Jesus and growing and learning and stewarding our well-being. 
-hmm. and we can get well in many cases, but we also live in the sphere of, we live in a broken world. So we're going to, we're going to swing on the continuum of, I feel well, and sometimes I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. And I think that is completely normal. And we should abolish shame. Like you could be a great leader and a great follower of Jesus and struggle with your mental health. It's good. Um, Jesus was a man of sorrows and familiar with pain. And I think that familiar with pain idea is really important that it was a consistent part of his life on earth. And then on the other hand, I say, there's some things that you can do uh, to invest in your life. Uh, I think of stress, anxiety uh, as interconnected realities and burnout really is a, an unhealthy long-term cycle of stress that leads to a place of just utter exhaustion and a loss of passion in whatever you're doing. So if you learn how to navigate the stress cycles in your leadership, really healthy stress responses, um, stress coping mechanisms, I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. And also if you learn how not just to be a person of output, but also be a person of input, leaders tend to lean on that side where we are just giving out, leading, developing, learning, growing, managing, visionaring. And yet how much of us are strategic about, okay, I want to be healthy relationally. Mm -hmm. I want to be healthy spiritually. I want to be healthy mentally. I want to be healthy emotionally. I want to be healthy physically. So all of these parts of my life, I've also got to strategically invest in so that I can do what I do for the long haul and be as well as I can be. And strategically investing, is that what you are talking about when you say stress coping mechanisms? Yeah, I think that I think there's two things. I think investing in all of those areas, you can cultivate stress coping mechanisms. But when I, I think of strategically investing, it would be something like this. I've learned about myself mm -hmm. that I love people, like deeply care about people. But I only have so much time that I can spend with people before my emotional tank empties. So good. And if, if I continue, if I, if I continue at that pace and I don't give myself some, some time to detach, like Jesus would get away to a quiet place and pray. Mm -hmm. If I don't have some time to detach, whether that's reading a book or doing something fun and laughing or going on a run or just lounging with my wife or whatever, you know, just hanging out. Mm -hmm. If I don't do that, that leads to really unhealthy places for me. Okay. So that would be one example of just being intentional of like, okay, like I know this about myself emotionally. So when I get some time to like break away so that I don't break, uh, it really fills my tank up in an intentional way. Do you find you've worked with young, it was a young church you started in Eugene, Oregon, uh, your church in Davis, California, Bayside, young crowd, what, young, yes. young. Okay. So these are university. Do you find anxiety, depression growing in the generation that's rising? And maybe you can talk about how we can help them. Yeah, it, it is increasing. The youngest generations percentage wise are struggling with anxiety, depression, mental health conditions more than any other generation. In fact, a study came out 
in 2022 that 60% of college students met the criteria for a mental health condition. Wow. Which is, I mean, alarming on, on so many levels. I think there's a lot of complexity behind that. I think that on one hand, there's theological reasons, right? We all live in a broken world. Mm-hmm. We're all going to feel that that reality of the fall in every part of our humanity. On the other hand, there's cultural reasons why. Mm-hmm. There's many cultural reasons. I think one is the pace of our culture is so fast. There's, lot, there's so many things and pressures to succeed, particularly in this type of demographic and setting, mm-hmm. that over time, young you know college students begin to break. Like by break, meaning there's cracks in their mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, they begin to really struggle mentally, emotionally, um, and it can sometimes put them in a really dark place because the pressure that they have externally in this culture to be successful or even from their family or their friends or their peers or what have you is so great that it just leads to a really unhealthy place. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot around the digital world mm-hmm. that complicates this as well. Um, there's never been a time in history where we have this much information and digital stimuli. And so many studies are coming out saying the brain was not meant to process this much. Mm. So I think our brains are on overdrive. And then there's the internal stuff that happens where we're comparing these, you know, young people are comparing their lives with other people's lives on social media, which leads to insecurity and anxiety and stress. So I think there's so many things in culture or cultures, uh, divisive and polarized are the news cycle is negative I, I could go on and on and on i think that they're growing up in this cultural atmosphere which is grounds for struggling with mental health conditions and let alone the isolation of the pandemic and the loneliness epidemic in our country where Young people are more connected than any generation in human history, and yet more disconnected Mm. from true meaningful relationships. So everything surface, right? Like, Mm. I know these 100, 200, 1,000 people on social media, but how many deep, meaningful, incarnational, face-to-face, life-giving relationships do they have? Mm -hmm. So the complexity of that is, is challenging to navigate. And then the broken family broken families in our culture, how many cultures or how many people grow up in a broken home, parents divorce, trauma, family of origin stuff. I mean, we just live in an interesting cultural moment. And I think the most important thing we can do, I think the church and Christians should be the most compassionate, loving, safe, uh, vulnerable place for people to find hope and help and healing and relational support in the midst of this cultural reality. Uh, We just talk about it all the time, Mm -hmm. which when you talk about this subject amongst that age demographic, they start talking about it Mm -hmm. and they start sharing their experience and they find support in community, uh, which is one of the most important indicators of mental well-being is healthy 
social life. And so we just want to be that. I, I've obviously, as you mentioned, been in this context pretty much my whole ministry mm. life. And I, I just love working with this demographic because they're the future. Yeah. But I want to help them on a deeper soul level so that they can thrive in their future, not just survive. I love what you said that we're called as uh, followers of Jesus, uh, just like the words uh, compassionate, loving, safe. Mm. Just let that like compassionate, loving, safe. And then to help people, you not only pastor uh, the church in Davis, uh, Bayside, but you've started an organization, Better Days. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about Better Days and maybe yeah. how people can connect to the message that they can find hope because somebody's listening right now, Wes, and they are broken and they're going, man, I wish I could find what Wesley's found and just help us. Yeah. So Better Days is a nonprofit organization where we want to bring education, help and hope uh, to followers of Jesus and churches around the topic of mental health and suffering. And we go into churches, teach, do conferences, train leadership teams. We have a lot of digital stuff. We have a video podcast, audio podcast that's listened to around the world. Because um, this is such an important topic. People are drawn to it. And so I think our, our heart, we've got an amazing team, brilliant people, like both on the theological lane, but also PhDs in psychology, clinical psychology, um, that I get to work with, but we all share a common heart. We want to change the narrative in the Christian space and help the church talk about mental health in a way that is hopeful, helpful, and educated. Um, so it's a joy to be in this space. I mm -hmm. am so, I, I would have never chosen this, right? Like sometimes your life story leads you to a calling. Yeah. And I think on a theological level, on a pastoral level, on an influence level, I just want my life to be lived to help people who are hurting and struggling and to also equip the church to, to navigate this conversation with wisdom, understanding, and deep compassion for the people that are coming in and out of their church every Sunday. So, so we've, we've got a website, betterdaysfmly.co, uh, which has articles and you know, all the talks that we do, as well as links to all of our, you know, digital content. We have a podcast, Better Days Podcast. Um, and uh, since we started Better Days Podcast, a number of Christians have started Better Days Podcast <laughs> replicas, <laughs> which is so weird, but cool. Uh, but we're, we're the one with the green. Uh, we've got, we've got great uh, branding. So we've got green on our branding. Um and yeah, and your name, just if they Google your name, Wesley Town, yes. with an E on the end of town, you'll yes. get all of those resources. We'll put for them sure. in the show notes for sure so that people can find uh, your voice. You're passionate, Wesley. We appreciate yeah. that. You're passionate because it's your testimony. It's your yep. story. And God has worked healing in your life. And now he wants to work healing through your life and those that are listening to us. God wants there to be healing, uh, better days, which is the essence of hope. Hope yeah. just believes tomorrow could be better than today. So we just really appreciate you being with us. I'd, I'd love, Pastor, because you are a pastor, if you would just take a moment to pray for people that may be listening, 
that God will bring the right resources, the right messaging to find them, help them to find better days. Absolutely. I'd love to. Jesus, we know so many people that in our lives, our family, our friends, our spouse, Mm -hmm. our kids that may be struggling with their mental health. And sometimes we lose hope. Sometimes we, we feel like, is this ever going to get better? Am Mm -hmm. I ever going to feel normal or well again? And I pray Lord for every person listening. If a person or people are experiencing that themselves, I just pray that you would give them a deep sense of hope and help in the midst of what they're going through. Help them to know that you are present with them, that you are a God who is mm-hmm. near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit, that you are ever-present help in time of need. And Lord, I just pray that over every person who's struggling. I also pray that they would know that there are tools and concepts and practices over time that can help them feel and be well. And I also pray for the person listening that has a loved one that is struggling. God, I pray that you would give them just a sense that they might be the right person to be loving, compassionate, and safe to that person Mm -hmm. who's struggling. Sometimes somebody just needs another person to process what they're going through. And that is one of the most important elements of healing when you're struggling with mental health. So I just pray for that person not to be judgmental or to add shame or guilt or any other words that could be unhelpful in the midst of what that person is going through, but just somebody that invites openness and love and compassion and understanding and just having the ministry of presence, Lord. So I just pray that for each person. Thank you, Lord, for this podcast. Thank Thank you. you that we get to speak hope to people who are hurting in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One more question. Something that you know today that you, one outstanding lesson that you know today that you wished you knew 10, 20 years ago. I think what I wish I would have known 10 to 20 years ago is that my discipleship to Jesus is not just going to church, reading my Bible and praying. It's also investing in all the other parts of my life my physical health, my mental health, my emotional health. I think of discipleship now as holistic. And I wish somebody would have said that to me when I first started following Jesus. So brilliant. So good. Wesley, thank you so much for connecting with us. I hope our audience of uh, listeners and influencers uh, uh, will connect with you, with what you have to say. I, I just would like them to walk away from this conversation just saying, I want to be more compassionate. I want to be more loving and I want to be more safe. Thank you so much. And friends, thank you for just being part of the influencers today. We want you to be an influence in your neighborhood and let the ripple flow out to the nations. Learn how to turn on the light in dark rooms. Learn how to bring hope to the hopeless and make the world a better place because God is with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the Influencers Podcast Official. 
You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus.